0: sure look
1: ladies and gentlemen welcome back to sure look sure listen the podcast that takes a pop at culture
0: sure look sure listen sure listen sure look sure listen sure listen sure look sure listen sure listen sure look sure listen oh benet still Ween, benjamin You're putting a little bit more of a pause each week between sure look and sure listen. And I have to say, I'm there for it, Ben. I'm there for the drama it creates. (laughs) It's for suspense, Michael. It's purely for
1: suspense. Exactly. As you know, I'm taking an improv class three times a week, Michael.
0: Very good. But Ben, sure look. We've got a lot to cover this week. For example, there's a new Resident Evil fan film called Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, which is for some reason being released in cinemas. Then there's also been, coming up very soon on HBO, a new Game of Thrones fan spin-off called House of the Dragon spin-off, which is for some reason also being produced. And Benjamin. We have both seen the new Marvel's What If? season finale, and I've had a little look at James Bond No Time to Die Who's he kidding, Ben? It's three and a half hours long, plenty of time to die.
1: Sure, listen, Michael, if there wasn't enough time to die, there will be the end of this podcast because we're going to be taking a look at urban horror, Michael, because it's spooktober and we're going to keep going. We We had an excellent start there last week with Dr. Stephen J. Cadwell, who talked to us all about video games and horror. And this week we're going to be talking all about hell and the inner city, the urban environment and spooky horror treats. Oh, no. Oh 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 no. But Michael. No,
0: Ben, I have uh, that's a disaster. Why? I I I've misunderstood it and I've only watched horror films which feature Carl Urban. Oh I thought that's... we were doing Urban horror. There's like three horror films with Carl Urban. Three horror films with Carl Urban. Oh no, Ben. Oh no. Uh, ben. I've misunderstood this week's topic and I've only read urbane horrors from the likes of uh, James Joyce and <laughs> What's his name? You know the fella on the rock? He's always lounging. <laughs> the, lad, the
1: lad on the rock who does be lounging. <laughs>
0: the lad on the rock, he's always lounging. Stephen Fryer, Oscar his name Wilde, is. Michael. That's the fella, yeah. I've only read Urbane Horrors, Ben. <laughs> that's what,
1: oh, no. That's what Michael says to tourists in Dublin City. Here, come here to me. Have you heard about the lad lounging on the rock? Have you, Gwan? He's always lounging on the rock. Always he's made of all
0: sorts of different kinds of marble.
1: There. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Michael. Hello. Speaking of Dr. Stephen J. Cadwell, last week we took a look at Resident Evil 1. Mm. And then the universe yes. gave us a spanking, Michael, because after that episode, <laughs> yes, it often does, because that episode was published and then directly after it, about two days, came the trailer for Resident Evil, Welcome Round to Rackham City. Resident Evil, welcome it to
0: what, Rackham City. <laughs> Is that <what> it's called? <laughs> welcome, to, welcome to Rackham City. Welcome, Welcome to, to Rackham, Rackham City, City lads. Rackham Stackham City. Benjamin. Yeah. A little twist for you. It was the same day. It was about twenty minutes after we finished recording, as oh, per fuck. protocol. I tell you what, Benjamin. Looks like a fan film. It's mad. It
1: it's real
0: choppy looking. It's a straight to DVD looking fucker. What? How is that getting into the cinema, Ben? Are we so bereft of things to see in the cinema that we're gonna we're gonna put that in?
1: But, but you know what I want to know, Michael. Go on. What happened to Robbie and Mel?
0: Why is he in a straight to DVD series? It's going to cinemas, Ben. It's it going should. to cinemas. And um, one of my favourite things about it, Ben, is the first comment under it on the YouTube channel that it's posted on. It says they are so dedicated to recreating the original nineties experience, they've even included the shoddy acting and cheap nineties CGI.
1: That's that's what I was thinking. I was like, is it an intentional little like nod to rubbish no. CGI? It's not, it's no. just crap, is no. it? No.
0: It's just rubbish. It's just rubbish. The worst thing about it is, Ben, they've gone and they've done. Someone has said, hey, guys. Hey, guys. You know, I'm from America. I'm a studio exec. And what I want you guys to do is put more Resident Evils in it. Because people are complaining there's not enough Resident Evils in it. So they've got to put Resident Evils in it, Ben. But in an effort to harken back to the originals, they've done two and one. It, that's okay. Res, it's Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 1 combined together into, it seems, one film.
1: Uh, a domicile of of evil. Kind so of. there's the house. There's yes. the
0: Resident Evil house. That's from Resident Evil 1. Mm-hmm. But all of the police station stuff and the Raccoon City stuff, that's from Resident Evil 2. Ah. And um, it looks like we have Chris, who's okay. from Resident Evil 1, okay. played by, for some reason, Robbie Amell. Is that Robbie who, Amell? Is that who it is? That's that's Robbie Amell. He looks like he's playing Chris Chris Redfield. He'll okay. he'll punch a boulder in half, Ben. Not in this though it doesn't seem. And no, I he tell gets you what, later on, does he? I I not really. He just gets plot armor and oh, that's handy. you know, he doesn't get powers. Anyway, Ben, yeah. No better casting for a generic man from the 90s. Then generic man from the 90s, Robbie Amell. It's a spectacular bit of casting. It's incredible.
1: They just looked for the default character setting in real life and they found Robbie Amell.
0: Robbie Amell, yeah. Generically handsome man, Robbie Amell. Benjamin, he's from Resident Evil 1. His sister, Claire, who you'll recognize from having a red leather jacket and showing up on a motorbike, is from Resident Evil 2.
1: Oh, controversial.
0: And the main character, Jill, from Resident Evil 1.
1: Jill Valentine. She's also a lady.
0: Jill Valentine. She's also a lady, and she might be in it, or I can't tell if if Hannah John Kamen is playing Jill Valentine or Rebecca, one of the other stars' team members. Okay, it's, it's all it's a melange, Ben. It's just a melange of Resident Evil tropes, including your favorite moment: there's a zombie turning around, and he's looking at me. That was Stephen J. Cadwell's favorite moment, but okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the the other favorite moment of oh no, here's dogs. Oh no,
1: here's dogs, which is not <laughs> my usual dogs. response. Normally, it's like oh yes, no, no, no. yeah, here's but they're dogs. Evil dogs. They're, no, evil, they're dogs evil dogs this time, Ben. Yeah, they're there's no, no such thing as evil dogs, Michael. There's just bad owners.
0: No, I think in in this case they're evil dogs because they've got oh, the okay. zombie virus. Yeah. Oh, that's no good. Virus. No, no use at all. They're trying mm. to kill you. They're gonna give you the zombie virus. I tell you what though, Ben. <laughs> I've no time for it. It looks ridiculous. I can't believe they've made it. It it's looks way really late. bad. It's way too late, Ben.
1: Um, yeah, I just don't think it's going to turn out very well. The acting doesn't look to be up to scratch.
0: Hannah John-Kamen is the surprising one for me. I, I don't know, maybe she's not as high profile as I think she is. But it was weird to just see her in passing in like a couple of frames and for it not to be advertised that she's in it.
1: Uh, it's the same with the guy from Umbrella Academy, though he's in there. The
0: guy from Umbrella, let's call him Tom Ford. I don't think that's his name, but let's call. You're him not. Brad. You're not a
1: million miles off, though. It is Tom something. I think.
0: Yeah, he looks like he will be a Tom Ford. He's in it. I can't tell Ben if he's playing Barry, from the original game, and if he is, it's a great bit of casting, or if he's playing Albert Wesker, the slimy, sleazy evil doer.
1: Mm, maybe he's Wesker and Barry. Maybe oh, Wesker Barry is a uh, clone of Barry in this case. Who's to it say could Michael?
0: Be, ben. I not me because I probably won't even see the damn thing. To be honest. I won't
1: be seeing it Michael. I've
0: no interest. It looks uh it looks
1: particularly notably silly. Um which is funny because it comes after a franchise of notably silly Resident Evil films.
0: Yes, but it's a very different type of silly. It doesn't it's so fan film. Yeah, it's, it's so fan film. fan film. The the lead, it seems to focus on Claire as the lead. Um and I've never seen that actress before.
1: It's twenty twenty one, Michael. It's you know twenty twenty one. It's it's time for the Claire's a, the, the Claire red fields of the world to exactly. step up and take their place at the head of the franchise.
0: Well Claire, you know, arguably has been at the head of the franchise quite a bit.
1: Then it's time for She's Claire to stay exactly in her lane.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Stay in your lane, Claire. It's twenty twenty one. This isn't time for change, this is time for straight to DVD movies being released in the cinema for some reason. Yeah, because we just
1: run out of content. They haven't been able to make enough movies due to the the global panini, and so
0: <laughs> they're like, they're like, is there? Uh, do we have any movies? And they're like, Nah, no, there's no movies. We've got no movies left. And this is surely Robbie Amell has done something to see if anything. Like they, they called him up and said, Robbie, are you doing any of your fan films with your cousin? And he says, No, I'm not doing any fan films with my cousin Stephen Amell, the more famous Amell brother. But cousin- have you ever heard of Resident <laughs> Evil? That's exactly what happened. Yeah, no, that's precisely it, Michael. Precisely it. Um, Benjamin. Yes. Speaking of fan films that no one wanted. <laughs> that no
1: one wanted, Michael.
0: Yeah. Why is House of the Dragon happening? <laughs> Michael, who said it to because... Matt Smith, you look good in that wig? He doesn't, though. He looks a bit silly. <laughs> who gave him that advice, Michael? He looks a bit silly, Ben. He's, I don't like his little wig. No, it's very silly. Ben yes can you do me a favor please
1: yes i can yeah
0: can you name me one good prequel series or um please ben please just name me one good prequel series
1: michael and benjamin's podcast
0: oh no that wasn't a prequel that was just the original ben that was dreadful though the audio quality shocking appalling benjamin a lot yes. more racist as well benjamin <laughs> better yep. call Saul, maybe
1: better call Saul, maybe
0: but that's not really a prequel series, is it? Oh,
1: they just did their own thing and they were like, oh yeah, do you remember how he, he has to do a whole other storyline? Oh yeah. I think they've spent all their goodwill though, Michael. I think this is a very poor choice. Um, mm. I think a lot of people are going to be like, why would I go back to Game of Thrones, the show that broke my heart into a thousand tiny pieces?
0: Yeah. Because all they're going to do is spend seven seasons building something up slowly and then fuck it, yeah,
1: yeah, so sure, i I'm going to invest i'm going to you know some friends will become enemies, some enemies will become friends i I will mm. be on that roller coaster of emotion, I will choose the characters to whom I will stand eternally, I will fall in love with various people, only to have them disappear from the show without a trace and mm. what's what's the point in all that also Benjamin Matt Smith looks very silly in a wig,
0: yes, he's got a funny wig on Benjamin. The Song of Ice and Fire board game apparently is very good. It's a it's a little miniature war game oh. that is very popular and ever growing in popularity on YouTube at least. So maybe that is where the legacy of H R R G Geiger Martin will go. Ah, uh, yeah,
1: r g Geiger Martin, uh, great lad. A bit slow on the L great writing.
0: Lad. Yeah, yeah. Um, also very Swiss. Everything was a penis.
1: Everything absolutely everything we're mixing absolutely up two everything. legends of the uh fantasy world and sci-fi world but that's okay that's okay michael
0: uh, we've mixed them up i was thinking of the guy from game of thrones yes and you ah <laughs> gotcha. you got me i got you and benjamin well played. yes Yes, all joking aside, though I don't care. I don't, I don't care think anybody does. Out. I think
1: I think the the other great mistake here, Michael, is that they're basing it on the Targaryen bloodline, and everybody kind of went off Targaryens after Amelia Clark. They were just like, me.
0: yeah, it's like, oh no, I wish I hadn't named my bloody daughter Daenerys. <laughs> that was a bit of a mistake. That was a bit of a whoopsie. Yeah, it's
1: almost like naming your child Hannibal after seeing the first two minutes of uh, Silence of the Lambs.
0: Yes, I think it will. The funny thing is, or Damien after the film The Omen. Yes, I think it will have it. It will have done for names what a lot of those f- films and TV shows also did for names. But I think it's probably unique. It's the first thing to ever introduce and popularize a name and then immediately turn people off it within its own lifetime.
1: Almost instantly. Almost yeah, instantly.
0: It's, it's. I think that might be. That might be the greatest legacy of Game of Thrones, that in 40 years, there are going to be a very small subset of women born between 2015 and 2019 called Daenerys. There will be none before and none after. And it's a it's a little bon mot, Ben. It's just non-delicious.
1: Mm, mm, uh, I'm sorry, Michael. It's a little what?
0: A little bon mot. Go on. Tell me more about that there now. What's that now? little delicious. A little delicious thing.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, if we ever decide to pivot out of this particular podcasting format and into another one. I'm going to call it Pop Culture Bon Mousse and we're going to do exact oh, yeah. little things. Bon, Weird and unexpected bon butterfly effects within mm, pop culture. Mm, delicious.
0: <laughs> okay. Mm, a little a little uh, a little amuse-bouche Ben An amuse-bouche of pop culture. Michael,
1: I think it should go off and what? die. But speaking of people who have no time to be doing that.
0: Very good. Benjamin. Yes. It's it's more than 3 hours long. It should have been called James Bond. Arguably too much time to die To be honest we'll Because Mick <laughs> had to go for a piss in the middle We'll probably get around to it <laughs> Yeah he'll probably get around to dying Benjamin we'll do no spoilers first Do you want no spoilers first? on,
1: don't spoil it for me
0: I won't spoil it for you It's James Bond He's James Bonding about the place Ben Very good He's uh, he's on a, He's on one last mission for the Queen Or whatever Classic yeah, he's going to Cuba, Ben, and Ana de Armas is there, and Ana de Armas was much less famous three years ago when this was filmed, so she's only in it a little bit. Was it
1: three years ago that it was filmed, Michael?
0: At least, yeah, at least. Jesus. This is this has been sitting on the shelf for a long time. Um, That's insane. So, yeah, Anna de Ar- they're really pushing Ana de Armas in the, in the um, marketing, obviously. Uh, yeah, because it's Ana de she's... Armas. Yeah, she, but she's in it for a grand total of about 12 minutes, Ben. Oh,
1: 12 great minutes, though.
0: And then the, oh, tw- the tw- Probably the 12 best minutes, <laughs> all joking aside. It's the most action packed and fun bit. Um, it's car chases, Ben. It's intrigue, but I have to say I didn't care. Um, everyone's car chasing each other and shooting at each other, and there's a new replacement for Bond. And Ben, Freddie Mercury's there, and he's bad and he's an asshole. And he's bad and he's an asshole. Right, so
1: that's the yeah. no spoilers version. Now I'm going to pick your brain, yeah. Michael, right? Right. Now Gordon. I'm going to
0: pick your brain, and we're going to do
1: full spoilers, ladies and gentlemen.
0: The full spoilers for the film James Bond, No Time to Die, which has been out for a couple of weeks, I think, in most of the world.
1: So if you so. don't want spoilers for a James yeah. Bond, off you go and take a dip in a pond.
0: Oh, that's great. Yes. Uh, or just follow the time codes to the next section.
1: That is probably a more practical solution to the issue. Mm. Mm. So, Michael, come here to me. Come right, here to me now. I'm here. Why is Freddie Mercury on the hoof?
0: Cos, Ben. Spectre. No Spectre? Ah, uh, yeah.
1: Not they're a like grand tra- bunch of lads.
0: No, they're the worst bunch of lads. So Spectre, Ben, they poisoned his family.
1: Oh, what dicks.
0: They killed all his family, Ben, and they poisoned everyone, including him. Oh, no. Yeah, so he's like, hello, it's me, Freddie Mercury. Um, I want to kill everyone in Spectre. What do you think of that, James Bond? And James Bond is like, well, bloody hell, that's... Actually, you know what? I'm not really that opposed to that, to be honest. Yeah. And well, then Freddie Mercury says, <laughs> and then everyone else. And his was as well. Okay, I'm less inclined towards that, to be fair. Let's have a fight. That's like <laughs> your
1: mate when they're like, they, they organize like a nice pre drinks in a pub, Michael. And then mm. but they want to go and do like laser tag afterwards, so you're like, oh I think I'll just go. Oh for the that drinks. sounds like great fun. That Thanks. sounds like great fun then, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I'm with the evil Freddie Mercury on so that. So you're one. you're the Freddie Mercury in that case, and I'm yeah I'm, I, I'll go for the meal. I'm not gonna probably not gonna stick
0: around for the for the laser tag. Probably not. So Freddie Mercury's that. there, Ben, he's making a funny face and he's going We have to poison everybody because my family's dead. Villain What do you think of that? and James Bond says oh I'll give you a kick and that's pretty much the story
1: that's the film okay <laughs> that's the
0: film <laughs> 3 hours of running around to solve that problem that sounds and fascinating James Bond is in love with a lady oh good for him do. yeah yeah he's in love with a lady ben and there's uh, James Bond stuff there's cars and there's one gadget and there's Q and there's M and there's money penny and there's a new lady secret agent and oh it's all sorts of James Bond stuff ben Yes No great James Bond fan am I At the best of times anyway I have seen them all I could not tell you What happened in the last one
1: uh, Christoph Waltz Acts Christoph Waltzy and, What
0: was the last one even called? Spectre Was it called Spectre? Conveniently Lea Seydoux was apparently in that I don't remember her being was, in it She uh, yeah. was um, She's a very important character in this one Much more important than, than Anna D'Armas That's a shame
1: Why? uh cuz I'd be more inclined to watch the James Bond film if Anna de Armas was in it for
0: longer. Well, we don't want to hear about that Ben. We don't want to hear about what whether you prefer the French or the Afro-Caribbeans. Huh? What's oh no, she's not. Uh, <laughs> she's, uh, she's from Cuba? She's from Cuba, isn't she? <laughs> what? He he's in he's in the Bahamas uh for a lot of it. That's why. <laughs> that's why that slipped into my head Um, (laughs) Uh, today on the still racist podcast (laughs) that wasn't racist i just got mixed up about places um he travels all around the world ben he's doing he's hopping from place to place and he's punching baddies it's 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 i mean i wish i had something more interesting and engaging to say about it i just I, i didn't i wasn't madly interested or engaged by it it was it was fine it was it was a bit long and um Daniel Craig looked a bit bored, to be honest, a lot of the time. And he was like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. And yeah, now it's over.
1: That's the interesting thing about Daniel Craig, right? He constantly like, oh, this is my last one. This is my last one. This is my last. Mm -hmm. Can't turn down that paycheck, though.
0: So much money, Ben. So much money, Michael. And then he can go and he can do funny southern accents and go, ha oh, I'm going to solve this murder. With Anadarma's. <laughs> With Anadarma's, yeah. I wonder if she did it. That's my southern um, accent.
1: Very good. You almost nailed it there, Michael. Come here to be, come here to be Michael. The, yes. the lady spy that's causing so much controversy. The yeah. the female James Bond. The woman that every newspaper in England wants to be the next James Bond. What's, what's well, the story there?
0: Well, she's not James Bond, Ben. She's the next 007. Right, yeah, still She has a name Her name is Nomi And she's a secret agent And Depending on where you lie politically, Ben On the YouTube Slash Reddit Slash Twitter Slash Tumblr Spectrum Mm Mm-hmm or Spectre, if you want. <laughs> mm-hmm, spectrum. Um, people were either delighted or appalled that there was going to be a Black Lady replacing James Bond as the new James Bond. And mm. she very much isn't replacing James Bond as the new James Bond. She's a, she's a special agent on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And the way the trailer sets it up to be, like, she's going to one-up James Bond at every stage because she's the future and she's modern and she's a, a lady and she's got all everything under control. Nothing like that at all.
1: And Didn't really think
0: there would be. No, she's a bit well, well though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that they introduced a character like that. I'm not, I'm not naming names, Captain Marvel. But, um, <laughs> oh, did and, I, did I just say, it out loud? And I then I I say that? And they're now furiously
1: retconning it in various TV series that they have on.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. They just have met Captain Marvel lose all the time in TV series now. So that because she never even lost as much as an argument on screen. Anyway, Ben. Yeah. Um. I think a lot of James Bond fans were worried about that. And if anything, I think she was a bit underutilized, to be honest. Oh, what a um, waste. Uh, I, yeah, she's just, she's a sidekick. She's the classic, um, you know, competitive sidekick. That, like, let's one up each other. and oh. um, It's fine, though. It's fine. It's fine. It's good. It's all right. It's fine. It's
1: fine. So she, you, you, ben, you made me include James Bond Jr., No Time To Be Dying.
0: Well I had to watch it for three hours Ben Plenty of time to die Too much time to die probably Too
1: much time to die Michael
0: It's fine No great James Bond fan of my Ben So I don't have a lot to say about it to be honest So maybe we shouldn't have included it Maybe we should just move on Ben And think to ourselves What if we hadn't just spent ten minutes talking about James Bond <laughs> Michael we got the ultimate episode of Benjamin um, yeah. Benjamin was that was that my best ever segue it I think might. it might have been <laughs> I think it was Uh Yes, Michael. So that brings us to the ultimate
1: episode of What If this week, Michael, where we got to take a look at what if we had a bunch of
0: interdimensional Avengers who are slightly more interesting than the regular What Avengers. if, Ben? What No, less interesting. What if, Ben? What if one of the episodes that was needed for that show to make sense hadn't been aired on time? I know. What was that about? What's going on? <laughs> I want to see that episode.
1: What happened there? There was an entire section that was missing.
0: They they seem to have. It looks like what if Tony had been sent to Sakar instead of Hulk? That's exactly what it is. It's and then
1: it had somehow become best mates with uh, Gamora. Like what was what was the deal there?
0: Yeah, it was Tony and Gamora instead of Hulk and, and Thor. What? And they seem to have killed Thanos and destroyed the Infinity Stones. And uh, that seems pretty epic, Ben. I'm more interested seeing what happened there, to be honest. Why why didn't we get to see that, Michael? Why did we just catch? <laughs> was that covered covered Ben it was covered how was it covered though it's animated what do you mean it was covered i don't know i suppose they couldn't get actors or there were some issues that people couldn't get into a studio or i don't know Ben i don't know maybe working from home slowed down the progress because they had to upload it to everyone's home computers and that took a few hours and i don't know we just didn't
1: get it very silly Michael that there's like cuz she's a key character in that <laughs> finale
0: Jeez. She's kind of a key character. The one thing they brought her there for—the knowledge of how to destroy the stones—ends up not working anyway. Yeah, but it, oh, it's
1: so interesting, Michael. There's an entire mm. episode of "What If" out there. What if we'd gotten the episode of "What If" that we didn't get to see?
0: Hmm? Hmm? And what if that episode hadn't been any use? Then what if?
1: Well, I mean, it would have joined the ranks of the likes of Captain Carter, wouldn't it?
0: Oh, you got her! <laughs> Zing, Benjamin. Yeah. My favourite thing about this episode of What If was, it was, what if Doctor Strange fought Ultron with all the Infinity Stones, and some of his mates were there in a the kind of supporting role. What was that about, Michael? What, what was the thing of, do you know who's better than everybody? Doctor Strange. St-
1: Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange if he's evil. Where has this unearned sense... Of just, do you know who'd beat everybody Doctor Strange come from? Benjamin.
0: Yeah. He spent thousands of lifetimes absorbing every demonic entity you could find. Yes, I suppose that's up to true. Inclu- up to and including, it seems, the likes of... Um, no, not to me, What's the big tent leave fellow's name? Uh, Cthulhu. Be- n- no, not in... What's the Marvel equivalent of him? He's got... Well, Shumagorath. Yeah, okay. I, mean, I, I don't so, remember. So, you know... <laughs> He's he's absorbing all those demons for thousands and thousands of years, so he's got all sorts of powers. If you want,
1: yeah, that's true. That's very fair, Michael. That's very fair. Come here, come here to me. Come here to me. Come You're here right. to go me. Come here to me. Go on, go on, go on. Killmonger's just the same guy again. There's,
0: there's no. Yeah, he's a real prick. He's just a prick. He'll turn on you as soon as you look at him. That's his
1: character. He's a prick.
0: Yeah, he's no use, Ben. Um, he's he's one of the best Marvel villains, but even in um, Black Panther. You have to recognise that he is a bit of a prick. He's just a prick, like... He's a real untrustworthy fella. Yeah. You wouldn't want to trust him. He's nearly as bad as Armin Zola. Nearly. Ne-
1: Armin was yeah. going to give it a go, too. He's like, yeah. Mm.
0: I'll have those. I'll have those stunts, please, because I am here in the stomach, in my natural environment.
1: But to be perfectly honest with you, Michael, probably could have seen yes. that coming. You know, that's not exactly a revelatory, you know, twist. Well, Benjamin... Yes.
0: I believe that is the plot of the episode.
1: What? That Armin Zola gets the Infinity Stones?
0: Yeah, no, that the Watcher did see that coming. He saw the betrayal of Armin Zola and he saw the betrayal of Killmonger and he knew that Armin Zola and Killmonger would end up fighting over the stones Mm. and that would be a good time to suck them all up into a little dimension because... Neither of them is as powerful as Ultron with all the stones.
1: Ah, so it's it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a what if the Watcher was actually Stephen Strange from Endgame kind of vibe.
0: Exactly, the mm. Watcher was like, "I knew all along, it's me, Jeffrey Wright. I was just in in no time to die there a few minutes ago. Remember?"
1: <laughs> nobody remembered, of course.
0: But <laughs> nobody remembered. Nobody had any time to watch it. It was too long. He's going Benjamin. to be
1: Commissioner Gordon now soon as well. He's everyone. He's now. everybody. He Everybody's is-
0: Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright is man of the moment. Jeffrey Wright is the man, the face of our times. Uh, interesting choice of words there, Michael. Uh, so, come here to
1: me. Uh, what did you think of the ragtag group of interdimensional uh, Avengers?
0: Oh, I like them. Did you like them? Do you have time for them? I like them, yeah. yeah. I like them. I had a bit of time for them. A- again, complete, like, no use, no need for them to be there. It could have been me, you, Dr. Stephen Cadwell, Shane, and a couple of children. Because Doctor Strange really did everything. 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 The others were just running up and slapping him. I suppose uh, Black Widow and Captain Carter stuck the arrow in him. And then, and uh, what's-his-face was necessary for the betrayal. But really it was just Doctor Stephen Strange. Yeah, just give, just giving it socks. Uh, in fact, to the point of, if it had been just Doctor Stephen Strange and The Watcher, who we saw give Ultron a pretty good going over last week. Yes. They probably would have just won anyway.
1: Yes. Two of them and probably could have done it.
0: They probably could have done it. And why did he snatch up all the dysfunctionals? Like, when he went to the Party Thor universe, why didn't he snatch up Captain Marvel from there? Y- y- why Why uh, did he pick Killmonger, Michael? Yeah, well, no, because he knew Killmonger would betray them, Ben. We've covered this. That makes sense. Mmm. I suppose uh, Captain Marvel has already been defeated by Ultron in this universe, so you don't want to just throw the same thing at him again.
1: Also, mm. arguably,
0: the way he goes about saying it, "You have been chosen," you know,
1: yeah. that's that's his big thing. It's like some of those characters are not definitely not the most powerful version that there could be <laughs> to take no. on a threat like Ultron.
0: Like party yeah. Thor, the worst Thor, <laughs> the worst. He's Thor. the worst Thor to do it. Yeah. Like, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, end of Infinity War, Thor, actually has already almost killed someone with a full gauntlet. Done it a few times. <laughs> yeah, and like he, I mean, he has a bloody axe, which is specifically designed to kill people with infinity stones. Maybe get that guy. Hmm? Get him, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Ben, he didn't need to get him, because for the plot convenience, remember, the Watcher already knew all of the possibilities. I know, I know, Michael. Which, really, I mean... Then how was he surprised in the first place? Oh, Ben, I hate multiverses. I hate time travel. I have no time for them. Keep it grounded. They're they're not going to do that. But also, I mean,
1: again, Michael, we've talked about this a little bit before. You know, sometimes a series like Loki will come along and it it undermines the achievement of the universe that we've come to know. So, Hmm. you know, the events of Endgame and the events of uh, Infinity War pale in comparison to to the unlocking of a
0: multiverse from a fixed time loop. Yes, you know, just, Benjamin. Yes, I see it as an artistic selfishness. Is that what it is? It's when people. It's yes, it is. It's when people are, when people are writing in a shared. Well, it's one of the. It's one of the perils of a shared universe. Go first on. of all, but it's when people are writing in a shared universe to say, "Well, you know what? That shared universe is all well and good, but my story is so important." That I'm going to bust open the world of that shared universe. Yes, and that's what's happened. And that's what's happening with pretty much all of the shows recently. Um, yes. With Loki, with, with um, whatchamacallit, what was that one you were saying? Uh, bloody... What if, what if. That's what it's called. What we're talking
1: about, yeah.
0: Yeah, so look Ben, to be honest, like I don't think this what if is going to be quote-unquote, Ben, air quotes, finger quotes, finger blasts, um, canon. I don't think it... I think, to be honest, it's all going to be fairly inconsequential. It's just
1: going to be a nice little series of vignettes.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is ripe to be ignored if if you so choose. Uh, And if you never watch it, it's not going to affect your movie watching, it's not going to affect the other series, nothing's going to happen. If they wanted, Ben... When they were doing the happy endings at the end, the Watcher could have plopped um, Black Widow back into our universe, the main universe. That would have been a good one. Wouldn't that it? would have been consequential, is what I'm saying. Yes, so but dead, we don't want they, that. Exactly. Because it's like bringing Colson back in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You don't want to have consequential things happening in a platform that fewer people are seeing.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't be great, would it?
0: No, people wouldn't like it. People are like, I'm pretty sure he was dead.
1: I I think for definite he was dead. That was the whole plot of the first movie. Remember they all came together because he died.
0: Yeah, he got stabbed. Ben, yeah. having said that, it's like the Resident Evil films or the X Men films. It could be like that, where or even the James Bond films, where there's not really a continuity. You just have to have a vague sense of what happened before.
1: <laughs> just a rough
0: a rough sketch. Yeah. So like if they kind of brought James Bond back and then they said, I thought he was dead, and it's like, ah, don't worry about it. Like when like when they kept bringing Emma Frost into the X-Men films, and she was like a teenager in the 70s, a fully grown woman in the 60s, and then a teenager again in the 90s. And anyone Classic, who said, Emma, classic Emma Frost age-shifting powers. What's she up to? It goes, ah, don't worry about it. Why was Jean Grey 20 in 1960 and 20 in 1990? Don't worry your little head about it. They could have. about? They could have just brought Philip Colton back and said that. Don't worry your little head about it. It happened in an animated cartoon series that you haven't seen. Pass, pass, worry. pass. Yes, don't <laughs> worry your little head. She's back now. Black Widow's back. Um, she's on the helicarrier. She's doing a kick and everyone's back. Don't worry about it. It happened in an animated cartoon series that you didn't watch. That's all you needed to know. Goodbye. Yes. I, I mean, I enjoyed What If, Ben. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it from start to finish. But I, I I enjoyed it from second episode to finish. Yes, mm, mm. I like uh, Captain Carter's uh, stealth suit. I like the recreation of the yeah. of the battle on the Lemurian Star, Ben. I thought that was interesting and fun and amusing, and was glad that it wasn't the whole episode. I think the final episode of I I thoroughly enjoyed
1: interdimensional Avengers kicking interdimensional Ultron's butt. They kept kicking um, him in the head then. They just gave, they, they gave him no reprieve, Michael. They just gave him a whooping.
0: <laughs> they were throwing bricks at his head. They were throwing hammers at his head. Two different shields. Whatever they could get their hands on, Michael. <laughs> there were moments of where it was just like, bonk, bonk, bonk. I thought it was funny. done really well, though.
1: It was choreographed really, really well, I thought. I thought it was a, There was a one, smooth thing. There
0: was one tiny little nitpicky flaw in choreography. And it was when Ultron tried to use the powers to destroy the whole galaxy. And then Doctor yeah. Strange kind of grasped the power and swallowed it. Yes. And that happened in the middle for the battle to get a hold of the soul stone. And that effect was the same color as the soul stone. So I, I thought, thought he was eating the soul stone. I thought that. You thought that. My good lady friend thought that. And we we're like, why is the soul stone still there? I thought he, I thought he just swallowed it. But that wasn't yeah. what happened. Ultron had tried to blow up the galaxy to solve the problem. And Strange had gone, mmm, nom, nom, nom. They'll eat that delicious. And then Ultron goes, what?
1: Because I I thought what was happening was, Michael, we were about to see a bloody evil Dr. Stephen Strange, evil Dr. Stephen Strange moment, Mm. uh, where he's taking the power for himself. Mm. Um, I thought, I thought perhaps, Michael, that Killmonger was a red herring to make us go, Killmonger's going to fuck up some stuff. And it's like, Mm.
0: no, it was Stephen Strange all along. Benjamin. Yes. The thing to bear in mind though is he's not evil Dr. Strange.
1: He's just Dr. Strange.
0: He's well he's Dr. Strange but if you remember the whole the new month of that episode was the fact he had to reabsorb his good side.
1: Oh, I forgot about that, Mike.
0: So he's kind of like balanced Dr. Strange. Ah, oh, boo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He did kill Cloaky though, so fuck that guy. <laughs>
1: fuck fuck that guy. Yeah. RIP Cloaky.
0: <laughs> yeah, poor old Cloaky, my favorite character. Yeah. Oh,
1: man. Speaking of absolutely horrific events, Michael, that we may never recover from.
0: <clears throat> hey, hey, hey! I did the smooth segues around here.
1: <laughs> it's Spooktober here on Sure Look, sure Listen, the podcast takes a pop of cold chip, Michael. Uh, and what we're doing is we're taking a look at a, a few different little horror episodes just to sink our teeth into pre-October 31st, Michael. Ooh. Benjamin,
0: the spookiest yes. thing that's happened this week is the number of technical difficulties we've had. We're currently resting at three. Um, <laughs> keen-eared
1: listeners will be able to hear the actual death of enthusiasm. In voices <laughs> as various stages come along. Sounds so no good, Ben. I think we're haunted. I think we're haunted by gremlins or possibly some
0: sort of ghosts. The decline of a podcast in three acts. Um. <laughs> so just, just a little glimpse behind the curtain for everyone. This is the third time we've had to start recording and re, resynchronize this because we're just we're not having a good we're not having a good day. So if we seem less enthusiastic. You know why?
1: It's depression. Uh, <laughs> so uh, in general, yeah, stuff like that can catch us off guard
0: sometimes. Michael. we don't mean it to. Ah Ben, we look, we don't mean it to. We are only human, like the producers of Marvel's What If? They missed a whole episode. At least we'll get we this out. Now, uh,
1: Michael, Michael, come here to me. Yes, come on, I'm listening. Come here to me.
0: I'm listening. Do you
1: ever find yourself on the commute to work? Mm. Right.
0: Yeah. Do you ever find
1: yourself thinking, oh, Jesus? Do you know what? I feel like I'm being corrupted internally by the steel and concrete structures around me.
0: No, Ben. I live in the suburbs of Dublin. It's very leafy and green, and Dublin itself, although an urban city, is quite low rise and green. Michael, yes.
1: have you ever found yourself with a co-host who's trying to make an interesting segue and you just feel like now nah, I'm going to fuck with his day?
0: Yeah, 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 all the time. Just there yeah, a few yeah. minutes ago, I just did it. Um, well, Michael, come here
1: to me. Do, have you ever taken a trip over to old London town?
0: I've been in London town, mate.
1: Yes, you have. And
0: Michael, have you ever found yourself
1: on the tube there?
0: Oh, so grim, Ben. It feels like it's entering into my very soul. Yes, it feels like it's
1: it's replacing your arteries with bloody tube lines, Michael, mm. and you might go a bit crazy and kill everybody. Mm. Um, no, of course, we wouldn't actually do that, Michael. That'll get us on a watch list. But um, in that particular case, Michael, you've probably experienced a supreme moment of urban horror.
0: Oh, I thought we were talking about urbane horror. Does that, we've we've been recording this for so long, but I forgot if I've already made that joke. Did I make that joke you, earlier? Yeah, you've made that joke earlier, ah, Michael, but okay. that's okay. Okay. That's okay. Urbane Urbane okay. horror. Uh, Michael, this
1: week we're taking a look at Hell and the Inner City, urban horror from the 1990s onwards, with a little look at its roots Benjamin, Mm.
0: I've made a terrible mistake, I only watched horror films featuring the actor Carl Urban Yes, what an original and witty joke that we've not heard before (laughs) What a nice little urbane bon mott. Oh, Jesus
1: Christ. Uh, So, Michael, what we're taking a look at is really the way in which the inner city influences certain narratives around horror, and how that wasn't a very common thing, but has
0: slowly crept its way into the mainstream, Michael. Probably because, Ben, in the olden days, there was no such thing as an inner city, really.
1: Yes, I suppose it's a rather new, modern, and shiny concept.
0: Mm. When Mm. does that come from? Uh so Michael the
1: earliest examples of this are a classic over over there in London town Michael. Mm ah oh, mate which is a very correct choice of words. Um we had narratives that would come out in the Victorian era in the old penny dreadfuls Michael. Yes. And generally speaking, a lot of those Penny Dreadfuls would reflect social woes of the time or social Mm. fears of the time. They try and capture it in there, Michael. There were the classic racist ones, like a Dracula and the Mummy or the Beetle. Sorry, the Beetle, not the Mummy. Uh, And that would have, you know, a foreign influence coming into the city and corrupting the city, Michael. It would be terrible and awful and spooky and scary. And, oh, no, look at those foreigners. They're coming to ruin my lovely London town. Right.
0: But then like again, Michael, the, the that one with um, Joss Whedon from a few weeks ago. Oh bloody! Uh, the Nevers is that what uh, it was called? Uh, la-
1: ladies with the uh, with X Men uh, yeah. leanings. Yeah, yeah yes, yeah. yes. It's a cl- it's a classic. Um, but Michael, yes. While it was very common to make up those kind of things and the, the you know the external horror coming to ruin London because mm. they were big. Dirty racists, Michael. In <laughs> um. <laughs> the old
0: days, Ben. To it's the it's credit, Ben, everybody was back then, so it was kind of fine. Yeah. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it was kind of normal. No, no it was kind of normal. That's not, no, that's not the line at this podcast. Uh, uh, I mean, no, I'm not, I mean, we, we're, we're not a podcast that holds the past to the standards of the present, are we? Is that is that, is that, our, is that our bon mot? We'd probably be a lot more successful if we
1: did. <laughs> but hmm. anyway. Go on. Um, There's an interesting question and a topic for another time. But, Michael, there's one particular um, Victorian novel by Robert Louis Stevenson. Mm. And that, on the other hand, didn't really look at the external threat uh, to London Town, but looked at London Town itself and went, oh, I don't... Do you know
0: what? I don't reckon this is good for people. Robinson Crusoe.
1: Robinson Crusoe. Yes, the classic tale where a man notably isn't anywhere near a city. Yes, the um, the, the sheer horror of the urban
0: has... (laughs) Frightened him off to live on an (laughs) island. If I remember Robert Louis Stevenson's Robinson Crusoe correctly. It's not even. Which I might not, granted.
1: It's not even Robert Louis Stevenson.
0: Robert Louis Stevenson's Robinson Crusoe. Oh, that city is so spooky. I'm going to go live on an island. Yes, correct. Or you might be talking about Robert Louis Stevenson's (laughs) Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, I was talking about Robert Louis Stevenson's... um, the Captain Hook. What was that one called? So, so many pirates. Treasure Island. Treasure Island.
1: Um, so in Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, we are introduced to the uh, to the eponymous Doctor Jekyll, mm. uh, Michael, and he's a mild mannered scientist. He's just a commoner garden doctor man. A commoner garden doctor man, and he's he's of some standing in society, Michael. He's he's heading up towards the upper middle classes there, mm. so he's of some standing in society. But Michael. Mm. He doesn't feel that he's very well suited to modern life, Michael. He's very tired of society and the chains it places upon him to be a civil and good man.
0: He lives in a lovely terraced house in London town.
1: He does, that has a back entrance into a not-so-lovely part of London town. Mmm. Mm. Um, and so, Michael, what happens is our, our good Dr. Jekyll takes an L potion. Mm-hmm. A formula, as he calls it. And when he takes the formula, Michael, it unleashes his inner kind of monster. Now... In more modern adaptations of this lovely little story, Michael, he is in every sense a monster. Mr. Hyde is a big kind of brutish thing. He's got a lot of power, a lot of you He's know strength.
0: A, a funny hat, a cigar. We've,
1: <laughs> we've seen some very famous examples, Michael, in things like A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm,
0: yeah, and Van Helsing.
1: Or the 2002 classic starring one huge jacked man, yeah, Van okay. Helsing. He's got a funny but Michael, hat.
0: In the actual book, he's far
1: more of an opportunistic killer. He's, he's, he actually turns into someone shorter mm. and more misshapen. A bit of a Quasimodo, if you will.
0: A little knobbly gnarly fella. Yes, and he
1: runs around committing insane acts of violence. And then the worst thing about it, Michael, is yes. that he hides among the working classes who already look like kind of ghoulish, gargoylish folks and fairies. It's, oh. it's, a, it's a very interesting novel. But the fundamental theme of the novel is, Michael, gosh, Isn't the inner city a bit shit? Aren't the working classes gross? A little bit of that too, Michael. And a good heaping dose of homosexuality. What a sin. Get rid (laughs) of it. Um, No time for it here in London town. No time for it here in London town unless it's 2021, in which case, come on over.
0: Yeah, nothing but. Nothing but, in fact.
1: Not the, uh, no, it's everything but, I think you'll find, in certain cases. In certain cases.
0: <laughs> very good. A very good pro-homosexuality joke, Then No homo haters on this podcast.
1: <laughs> we'll have less of it. Uh, he's not coming on. We're not having Chris Pratt on as a guest anytime soon. But, Michael, <laughs> Michael, that would go on to influence um, lots of different horror genres, Michael. We'd encounter a few different inner-city horrors, but not as many as you think, Michael, because you quite... Uh, accurately pointed out that it's a rather modern concept this idea Mm. of the built up metropolis Michael
0: Mm. is a
1: new thing is a new thing because
0: most horror stories in the olden days was about like oh Mary our son has died let's go to our family's country manor to recuperate I hope there's no ghosts in it
1: and then sure enough bloody hell a ghost
0: fuck me there's loads of ghosts here Mary Yes,
1: so one of the great one of the great markers of older horror is the isolated setting. Mm. Um, you know, we've got a big spooky manor on the hill, mm. and that's your classic gothic horror, Michael. It's just a big spooky scary place It's like nobody's been here in years We should Mm. move there because we're in financial ruin Oh no (laughs) Oh look at my wife How I hate her so How I'll mistreat her What's that she can speak to ghosts Oh no
0: All she needs is a bit of fresh air in the countryside By the sea near where all of those people drowned Coincidentally I'm sure that won't come up
1: And by Jove if she doesn't straighten up I'll put her in the attic or send her to an asylum Mm. With her women's rights The with, lunatic with <laughs> <laughs> what, what a laughable concept She wants the uh,
0: vote And is seeing dead
1: suffragettes And not to be haunted by ghosts. Uh, But anyway, Michael, so what we'd have is those settings, and those would be quite famous, Michael. And then as time progressed, we kind of lost those isolated settings, and we occasionally experimented with bigger settings in our our horror stories as we went along. But fundamentally, Michael, what that runs into is the issue of, hang on a minute, if you had a horror in a city, surely someone would see what was happening. Ah. Because at a certain point, Michael, what we got was highly visible cities mm. with electric lighting and hopefully a police force of some kind and mm. possibly just very large crowds.
0: Yeah. So then, Ben, it has to move on to that the horror is apathy.
1: Oh, ver- Michael. What? Michael, you what? bloody, you are, you're strapped in and ready for this. Is it's not my episode. F-
0: I've just thought of that, Ben. It's, I'm just so quick. So, Michael absolutely
1: you're absolutely correct the, the the horror is apathy then if you look around at your community and nobody's there to help you what have you got because in those classic horror stories michael you'd have a little motley crew of people who'd kind of know what was going on you'd have the groundskeeper who was yeah. like don't go into that room that room's a bloody terrible room don't yeah. do it he'd be from devon or yeah. somewhere like that. the butler that. might very, be there the butler might be there going well i used to serve mrs mcgillicuddy reeks
0: and she, she was is. wonderful oh and she's you- gone again <laughs> And oh. you, madam,
1: oh no Mrs. mcgillicuddy reeks we we've, um,
0: we've both done a reasonably good joke there, Ben, but ruined each other's jokes by speaking <laughs> over it that's either much of, either of those jokes would have probably flown on their own now, both of them are fucking ruined,
1: <laughs> so anyway, Michael, you're absolutely right, um then what we see is a mass shift in setting um. And two things happen around the nineteen seventies or eighties. Okay, mm-hmm. one is the introduction of isolated camps or cabins um, that have kind of become the staple of American horror. So it, it we we move from the stately manor on the hill to the cabin in the woods,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then you get your camp Crystal Lakes, et etc., et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah,
1: and then you get the suburbs.
0: A lot of horror in okay. the suburbs.
1: A lot of horror in the suburbs, Michael. And again, it's for the same rough narrative reasons, but also for that isolated kind of fearful quality of if you scream in the suburbs and no one's around to hear it, did you really scream and did you die at the hands of one Michael Myers?
0: Michael Myers, <laughs> exactly. Benjamin, also, there's something for the 80s, 70s and 80s cinema going experience. There's nothing more terrifying than a pretty white teenage girl being killed.
1: Oh, what, what horror, Michael? What mm. horror? The, you know, the biggest horror. You... Uh, How could you ruin American society in that way? More quickly. So the American, uh, the the mass media, (laughs) oh. Go on. Go on. Topical. You got that there. Good man. Go on. Um, on. So what happens is, Michael, the the mass horror experience moves to the suburbs or moves to a cabin. But. Yes. During that massive, massive exodus of people Mm. from the cities. Yeah to the suburbs, and that's where the setting moves, that doesn't mean that the suburb, or that the city stops existing, Michael. No,
0: it's even more spooky, if anything.
1: It's even more spooky, if anything. And what might happen, Michael, is you might begin to see abandoned things like social housing, or mm. projects, or something like that. And, if a black boy dies in the projects, and no one's around to care, does that mean that Apathy is the true villain of all 90s horror? Or is it Tony Todd? Or is it Tony Todd? Excellent question there, Michael. So, um, if we started out with things like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde in the inner city, then the spiritual successor to those um, is the kind of late eighties, early nineties black horror kind of ouvre.
0: Yes. So there's Benjamin. A, go on. But Chicago in the nineties is so different from London in the eighteen hundreds. I I find it hard to reconcile them as extensions of the same genre. Do you? In a, in a sense, maybe though I'm I'm facing that now and thinking. If we looked back on it a hundred years, a city is a city is a city. Um, if you take away the historical differences, maybe maybe I'm wrong. But, I mean, is London horror about slums? I suppose it is a bit, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it it absolutely
1: is. I mean, especially Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You, you hit it on it there. Aren't the working classes awful? And that's the point. Oh, so knobbly. So I I would say that Chicago today and London in the 1800s are chalk and cheese. They're completely separate social entities with completely separate things. But mm. but yeah. they do have working classes just in a very different setting. And fundamentally, the prey of the the villain or the monster or the supernatural entity in these tales is the working classes. They're the ones who ultimately suffer at the hands of this thing. So you hit the nail on the head there, Michael, when you said... Uh, Candyman.
0: Oh, I didn't say it bloody five times, though. I tell you what, Uh,
1: it's three. But okay, Um, it's three, isn't it? Or is
0: it five? Well, you've said that with such confidence. I'm just going to let you stew in it.
1: No, as
0: we say Ben earlier, I'm just going to let you stew there. Uh, You keep going, and I'll I'll tell you you at the end who was right. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, the way that that works is, Michael, uh, the Candyman is an urban horror yeah um and it it follows the same beats as a classic haunting from say a suburb um or a or a manor where it's a vengeful spirit come back um to haunt the the land of the living but yes. in this particular case michael the, the the candyman legend is something that preys on a project it's a, mm. it's 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 not a manor on the hill, it's not a suburban kind of stately home, it's not a cabin in the woods it's a housing development in the inner city mm and this particular ghost is spoken about by everybody. It's it's you know it's kept alive in the minds of the people. And fun, one of the most interesting things about Candyman is it's it's not believed by white people in mm. in the context of the the movie. It's kind of a, a silly thing um, that the African American community in um, in Candyman talk about it's yeah. it's you know oh what a ridiculous superstition and it, it comes back to that wonderful othering that we had in those tales where you'd you'd meet like a you'd meet a in in any kind of Victorian literature you'd meet the working classes or something like that and they'd be made the butt of a joke as a silly superstitious lot I oh, mm. oh, 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 know oh how at quaint Paddy. look at oh, Paddy he's quaint.
0: afraid of his banshee
1: exactly and one of the one of the fascinating things that we see there Michael is there's a, a British professor character that functions as exposition in Candyman and it's, it's so interesting he talks about it as if it's a an anthropological kind of study into yes. this thing that people mm. are obsessed with and he, he tries to dehumanize it and then what we get through the character of Candyman is we get a woman who has to go into the projects and encounter the actual violence that was rampant at the time mm. um, and we get to see her come face to face with the reality of living in a project yes. so we have those two sides represented to us yes, We have yes?
0: what colour is her skin She's white. Oh She's God. also
1: white. She's white. And
0: that is the most jarring thing having watched Candyman and the new Candyman.
1: Yes, it is, isn't it?
0: It's very jarring because the first Candyman, although Candyman is a black ghost and most of the victims are black, not all, but most, and it's about black it's about black people living in the projects in Chicago in the nineties. But it's all told from a white perspective. It is. Very much so, a white middle class woman perspective. It is, mm. and the final scene is white middle class woman revenge, not Candyman revenge.
1: Not at all. Yeah, it's it's white middle class woman revenge for being being made to feel scared at the earlier part of the movie. Mm. So it's really interesting, um, and I I do think that the new Candyman uh, by Nia DeCosta is is very much. Uh, oh, how are we going to put this? It's all right.
0: It's, Insensitively, I'll say.
1: No, let's let's try not to do that, Michael. But it's it's very much a reclaiming of a uh, black narrative for black people.
0: Mm, I get you. What the, having seen both, Ben, the new yes. one, the new one, in my mind, as a white boy who saw it when I was ten or twelve or whatever I was. Sure. Um, the new one. This is a, it's a weird one to thing to say in a lot of ways, but the new one is much more like I remember the old one being than the original actually is.
1: Okay, so in a sense then what you're saying is that the, the, the new one in 2021
0: yeah.
1: has taken the kind of spiritual beats of the original, enhanced or, those so that the nostalgia of your brain is like, oh yeah, that's Yeah, that's well, candy man.
0: I guess what the new one has done is taken... Because the original, Ben, is, let's be honest... Quite derivative of Freddy Krueger. How dare you! I I will. I'll, I'll dare myself. Um, and what makes it different from Freddy Krueger is its setting, not its yes. go, not its ghost or its uh, spectacular kills. And in fact, I never liked the aspect of Candyman that he was made of bees. I thought that was a bit. I think that was a step too far. He I didn't quite have, like the bees. I, I I mean, I like the bees, but it it doesn't. It's a it's a gimmick too far. Like, yeah, what does, does he have hand and a hook hand, bees? hand and bees? <laughs> what is the thematic relationship between a hook hand and bees? Like, with Freddy Krueger, he was doing a murder with that glove. The parents caught him and threw him in the fire. And that's why he looks like he looks like that. But with, <laughs> with Candyman, he was doing a murder with a hook and the parents caught him. Oh no, he wasn't doing any. He, he was. He perfectly, was perfectly. He was perfectly innocent. <laughs> he was
1: perfectly innocent. And they <laughs>
0: caught him. They chopped his hand off. They put a hook in, and then killed him with bees for some reason. Why did they put a hook in, Michael? I don't remember. It's it's the, in the new one. So, have you seen the new one? I haven't seen the new one, but you can do spoilers. The, okay, I'm going to do spoilers for the new one. In the new Candyman, then, it's all about yes. Candyman actually being a legacy or a hive of wronged black men who are killed through various injustices. So there's the original Candyman, the one who looks like Tony Todd, and he was the son of a slave um, who fell in love with a a white lady. Oh, And that was no use, Ben, so he was lynched. But then, basically, the the plot of the new one is that um, there's a guy and he's trying to bring Candyman back, Ben. And -hmm. he's trying to bring Candyman back Instead of as like a ghost of black shame that kills black people, he's trying to bring him back as an avenger, uh, an avenger of the wronged black people. So we're going to go right into the ending, Ben. Do you want to go right into the ending? Go on, you you go right on in there. In the ending of Candyman, the new Candyman, Ben, the the guy who's been setting the whole thing up, the guy who's obsessed with the kind of Candyman mythology, Mm -hmm. he sets up our previously up to this point main character and essentially kills him, chops off his hand, puts a hook what? on his hand, gives him the Candyman coat and then then the police arrive and assume he's been doing all the killings and shoot him. And then be- he's kind of absorbed into the Candyman being and he becomes an aspect of Candyman. And huh? uh, yeah, yeah. And all the cops are white, Ben, because it's Chicago. And um, his his lady friend is being arrested for being involved in all of this. And she looks into the, the, the rearview mirror of the car, Ben, and she says Candyman either three or five times. And her boyfriend, is he her boyfriend? I think he was, um, shows up as Candyman and kills all the white cops who are Ooh. shooting innocent, unarmed black men. I like it. Do you want a bit of social commentary in your films, Ben? Well, there you go. Boom. And then um, guess what happens, Ben? He disappears. Now bees come and he turns into Tony Todd. Oh, good. That's excellent.
1: <laughs> well, that's what we wanted, isn't it? That's we what we wanted. Yeah, that's time. what we wanted. Did you know, Michael, that Nia DaCosta, the director of uh, Bloody Candyman 2 or Candyman 2021, because there are yes. technically sequels to Candyman? Yeah, they they're uh, no use. They're no use. She is directing the new Captain Marvel sequel. Oh, good to cost us the the director of that so that'll be interesting uh, anyway, sorry, to move on from there, so Michael, what we see there is is as as you said it's a wonderful kind of social commentary on occasion, but that's a good example of i suppose black exploitation in the nineties and what I mean by black exploitation is um exploiting kind of black fears, black reputations, black stereotypes in the nineties for horror mm. and what we see now in twenty twenty one which is reclaiming. Those kind of twisted narratives and trying to make them into, I suppose, a, a cultural horror. So so as opposed to Candyman being a predatory spirit that will kill indiscriminately, if you say his name three times, it's uh, an embodiment. Times. Or five times, depending on which one it is. He, he is the embodiment of a vengeful black experience. Mm. So that's pretty interesting. Mm. But, Michael, this is a a really tragic thing that kind of happened in the early 90s, where a lot of people attempted to make cultural commentary through black experience. One of the other examples in that genre is Tales from the Hood, um, which is a little anthology kind of mini-clip series about how the black community was destroying itself through systemic kind of policy changes and things like that, and endemic violence and police corruption, and things like that. And that's a pretty interesting little series. But unfortunately, what's happened for a lot of these, as you pointed out, Michael, they're no good, the sequels, quite often.
0: Yeah, they're usually they usually miss the point a bit.
1: Exactly. Because what's happened is they've picked up the story and they've assumed that people find this scary because of urban crime, or people find this scary because of black-on-black violence, or people find this scary because of this, that, these, or those, and then they take the wrong aspect in each case and kind of build it up. Mm. And then what you get is films that border on racistly stereotypical. So one of the... I'm going to read you off a list of... This happened in the 2000s. I'm going to read you off a list of... Black horror movies in the 2000s, right? Okay. So what we got, we went from... Let me read them in the 90s. I'm worried about this. These are are black starred and black focused films in the 1990s, right? To Sleep With Anger, fair enough. Nothing too big there. Candyman in 1992. um, Tales from the Hood. Vampire in Brooklyn. Spawn and Blade. Those are theoretically some of our 90s horror based things. Spawn and Blade being a little bit out of place, so on and so forth. They're
0: action comic book movies. They're not horrors.
1: Okay. But then, Michael, in 2000, after the success of a lot of these 90s films starring yes. black horror, we got films like Leprechaun in the Hood. Yes, no use. S- Street Tales of Terror. Oh, that sounds interesting. Bones. Oh, with uh, Hood- Emily Deschanel. No, with Snoop Doggy Dog. <laughs> no. um, Hoodrat. Okay. Urban Evil, A Trilogy of Fear. Oh, we should have watched that. And now we start to get really bad. Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror. Okay, right. Zombies with a Z, because nothing says urban like replacing your S's with Z's. Vampires with I-Y-A-Z at the end. Which is just wholesale. Bloods versus Wolves in 2006.
0: Bloods and the Crips, yeah.
1: Crypts with a Z in 2002. Very clever,
0: like the Crips. Vamps
1: with a Z in two thousand four. I see where you're going with this, Ben. And Holler. So, unfortunately, very, very often, when we get some kind of successful black-driven horror or urban horror, it then gets co-opted and divorced from its original kind of message. Mm. And then we get just. Then we get gangs taking on vampires, or gangs taking on zombies, or whatever you want. And it, it's. Oh. It gets pretty messy, Michael. But luckily, yes, go on. the the core of urban horror has never really gone away. And so what we get as we move forward in time, we, we get a lot more modern attempts, Michael, um, recently. And Candyman 2 being the vanguard of that, it's it's kind of, you know, it's uh, I keep calling it Candyman 2. But Candyman 2021 is very much in keeping with the true spirit of what was intended with Candyman originally. The urban legend element of it, the... You know the black experience, the the lynching, all of that kind of thing. It's 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 all there in Candyman two again, and it repeats. And, <laughs> it's not
0: Candyman uh, two. I
1: keep say, I keep saying Candyman two. I'm very very sorry. I mean Candyman 2021. Um, and what we get is that. But what happens is, Michael, we do get other real attempts at that, and one of them is the the kind of I suppose if you wanted to call it the British black experience, which is Attack the Block. It's a kind great of film, ben. It's a great film, Michael. It's a great Ag- film.
0: Again, though, it's another one where the the, uh, the the kind of introductory character or point of view character is a white middle class woman.
1: Yeah, so it's
0: it's it's an interesting bridging of the gap, Michael. It's a real in-between thing.
1: But fundamentally I think what separates it from Candyman is that the white woman is proven to be incredibly wrong <laughs> by the end of the by the end of the film. So it absolutely bases its opening acts on perception of black people in the UK, um, perception of those communities, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and how that's actually more harmful than good, and how very often we get it completely wrong. And also on... watch out,
0: there's aliens coming under. Being... Also watch
1: out, there's aliens. But again, what we what we find in these films, Michael, and I suppose the true horror of urban horror um, <laughs> is that. When these characters are attacked in these urban horror environments, they have nowhere to turn. Mm. Um, So one of the interesting things about setting them within the black community is that, especially in the United States, no one will believe you if you go to the police. They're, They're not on your side. So therefore, that isolated quality of horror that was so prevalent in early gothic horror and would then become prevalent in the the cabin in the woods or suburbia it returns and it's set in the city where there are lots and lots of people but this time you won't be heard scream because of systemic racism mm. very interesting benjamin yes
0: I, we've mostly been talking about chicago and london but really a lot of the later ones focus on one simple fact and that simple fact is that los angeles is an absolute hellhole yeah, it just doesn't. one of my favorite Los Angeles is an absolute hellhole horror films of all time is Predator 2.
1: Yeah, perfect example.
0: Um and Predator 2 is just like the predator himself is a much less interesting character than horrible shitty 1997 Los Angeles where yeah. the cops are corrupt, they're running, they're just having running battles on the street with gangs. Everything is dark and grim and horrible and meatpacking factories and It's a much more horrifying environment than the jungle of the first Predator. Yeah, absolutely. Nowhere, Ben, have I seen that better than in... This is barely a horror film. It's a psychological thriller. Have you seen The Guilty with Jake Gyllenhaal? It's on Netflix currently. I haven't seen it recently, no. It's a one-man powerhouse display, Ben. It takes place entirely over the phone. Oh, but the The setting of it is Los Angeles as a horror hellscape. Not horror in the sense of there's a man with a hand and it's a hook and he's going to get you. Yeah. But just there's so many people. There's so much crime. Everything's horrible. um, Everyone's disaffected. It's gross. Get out of there, Los Angeles. It's a real hellscape.
1: Okay, so and, Apathy and was much, the villain all along.
0: <laughs> Apathy was the And pretty much all of those films, which I haven't seen that you mentioned earlier with all the Zs in them. Yeah. They're all set in Los Angeles as a real shithole.
1: Yeah, 90% of the time. Yeah, that's pretty much
0: that. the theme of a lot of it. So we yeah. haven't actually really covered a Los Angeles one. But Los, Los Angeles as a modern... I think Los Angeles is the city of... I mean, it's the whole setting of Angel, the TV show Angel. The whole yeah, point of the TV show Angel yeah. is Los Angeles is a real hellhole of a place. Yeah. Oh, so maybe we should do a live broadcast, a remote broadcast from Los Angeles for our next year's Halloween episode.
1: Yeah, okay. If if you want to donate to our Patreon, ladies and gentlemen, so we <laughs> can get that up off the ground. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, th- those those urban horror films are are still very relevant today. And I think we'll probably end up seeing more of them, Michael, um, mm-hmm. in the wake of, of Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Because I think it's been a phenomenal success. She's the most successful... I think she's the most successful director of colour um, to date. I think Candyman has made her a ridiculous amount of money. I mean, I not her that. personally. Not her personally. But um, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, what are your favourite moments of urban horror? Um, did we hit the mark this time or did we miss it completely? Uh, let us know what you think the appeal of urban horrors is. You can get in touch with us in a bunch of different ways. You can find us on the interwebs at www.shomrabiog.com S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G dot com.
0: means tiny room in Irish.
1: You can find us on the Instagram at Sherlock sure sure Podcast.
0: It means Sherlock sure sure Podcast in English. It
1: does indeed. You can find us on Twitter at ListenSure. But, ladies and gentlemen, yes, if you want this kind of on-brand witty banter and <laughs> a little bit of, little bit of speedy response... The occasional bon mot... The, the occasional bon mot as they say in France you should get up on le
0: discord hop up on it hop yeah. up, up, up on as they say in French um,
1: where you can get in touch with us chat with us about uh, things that you've seen things that you'd like to hear on the podcast topics that you'd like to hear brought up um, it's the best place to do it and you'll find a link down in the description ladies and gentlemen if you haven't had enough horror for one month, you can join us next week for our episode, Where Have All the w- Good Wolves Gone? Oh, we're we'll take... werewolves. We're doing werewolves next awesome. week. Awesome. Werewolves depictions in cinema and pop culture and what's bloody happened with them. And ladies and gentlemen, this very Wednesday, if you want some bloody spooky werewolf comic book recommendations, you can listen to our other podcast, Collecting Issues, the podcast, the bi-weekly comic book, book club. <laughs> I'm, I've got too many intros the podcast that doesn't take a pop at culture. Um we'll be taking a look at uh Moonshine Volume One from It's got Bootleggers and Werewolves, Michael. Oh, oh
0: I'm pretty excited. Ben. Yes. dibsy you watching Wolfman with Jack Nicholson. I'm not watching it. <laughs> Game on. Uh Rar. I'm Jack Nicholson. I'm Jack, raar. I'm a wolf, Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> I'm a You're wolf. Right. I've got urges i watched the one with Vinicio oh. Del Toro I'll watch that one and, uh, you and Anthony that one.
1: Hopkins okay alright talk to you then ladies and gentlemen bye bye
0: bye bye it's five times by the way it's Candyman you say it five times you fucker <laughs> see you next week <laughs> see you next week <laughs> <laughs>